Pod Boys Productions. Yeah, everyone's asking about the Mr. Irrelevant. And what I've got my sights set on is Mr. Irrelevant. When I first got it, you're thinking, man, they're Mr. Irrelevant. And I don't want to be that guy. Welcome back to Mr.'s Irrelevant on Niffle NFL Podcast, or is it Movies Are Relevant, a Oscar movie slash whatever movie we want to talk about podcast, or is it Mr.'s Mini, a podcast where I talk about miniature figures? No, that's not even a thing. Pod Drew, everyone knows, by the way, I, I'm uh, Nam, aka Young Barfly. He loves Dungeons and Dragons. This can't be stressed enough. <laughs> oh, you're saying, by saying he, you're talking about me, right? Well, I'm talking to the audience. Okay, I see. Yeah, you really snuck in there with uh, no waiting this time for the introduction. Actually, I, yeah, Dungeons and Dragons, fine. I was actually thinking more about like, what's that movie that came out recently. I think, I'm pretty sure it tanked hard, but like... With Steve Carell, where he's like making miniature figures and they like come to life or something. In Do you the movie. mean small soldiers? That is, no, I don't mean small soldiers. The movie from 22 years ago or something. Talking about a recent Steve Carell uh, joint. Yeah, that movie is called Welcome to Something, and I didn't see it because it looked bad. Yeah, it looks terrible, but I think it's like him making miniatures and, and just, they come to life or something. That's what I was alluding to. Those Dungeons and Dragons actually have a. Uh, not to belabor, uh, or not to break down the joke too much, but I, I wouldn't even associate that with miniature figures. Or is that, am I wrong about that? Do you actually play with Oh, them, yeah. Like, As somebody whose dad was a huge nerd in the 1980s, like, they sell pewter figures that you can paint to, like, represent your character and move around and, like, or just sit in front of you and be, like, totems or whatever. Like, that's a thing. No, it's just a thing. Um, it would have been more accurate now uh, in the current time. It would have been more au courant to say... Um, like Warhammer or some shit, but... And then you bring out a little Warhammer miniature figure? Yeah, yeah, or a whole army in your case, because you love miniature figures. Okay, but Dungeons and Dragons, it's not like, um... I always thought it was like... It's not like a board game or something where you're moving the pieces around, right? You're, like, making the stuff up, right? Yeah, it's extremely, like, you talking about the things that you had to do. Which is all we've been doing for three weeks to get back to the pod. <laughs> Yeah, so this is Nerd Poker, a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm pretty sure that's the name of a D&D podcast with like, by like Brian Posehn or something. No, a long and confused introduction to the podcast today, as is befitting, because we, we don't have just one topic to talk about. And you know, the podcast is always changing. Look, it's Brooklyn Rebound Network. You can get the uh, NBA, look out for the recent uh, NBA, BKNBA episode me and Enam did a couple of uh, maybe two weeks ago or so. That one's out there, and, you know, other pods coming out soon. But this one, me and E-Nam, a.k.a. Eric, a.k.a. Young, uh, what'd you go with today? Um, Barfly, I am the drunkest I've ever been to start one of these. Um, I was writing at a bar earlier. Okay, well, so, like I've been saying, this is going to be a good good episode, a confusing episode, probably. But no, we're going to touch on some NFL stuff, good developments happening for my squad over there. We'll get to it. And uh, we're going to do a little rundown of some of the recent TV and movie stuff going on. But uh, one TV show uh, that's on everyone's minds, I would assume, because it's coming back soon, is Game of Thrones. And uh, on that episode, I just mentioned their newest uh, NBA episode with Nam. I did tease that we have uh, one with all three of us coming, a small council podcast coming in, which still has not been... uh, recorded as of this recording but uh hopefully you can look out for that soon but we could even maybe you know touch on that a little bit if you want uh that is if you stay uh coherent enough over there you dash nam so you've been you've been hitting the sauce uh i was gonna say early today but of course we're in different time zones now so it's later there where you are listen it's only 8 p.m in brooklyn i don't have an excuse for what i did are you still going you know do you have like a a glass of wine beside you right now or a beer or something like as we record here i am holding a pbr uh because that's what i have in my apartment all right and it's brooklyn yeah of course 
I was going to say that's that's probably for the best because you don't want to lose. Uh, you you got to keep the steam going once you get started, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the way I can wax on about the Browns and their various moves, you could, you might fall asleep anyway, so you don't want that added uh, pressure from the downer. But all right, so as I mentioned there, the Browns, my squad, making some big moves. We haven't talked about really any NFL stuff since I think the week before the Super Bowl, actually, because uh, the Super Bowl sucked. We didn't even do a we didn't even do a. Uh, a game wrap-up podcast or anything. Just we not just worth talking to, about. But... Just the most boring football game I've ever seen. Yeah. But what hasn't been boring, for me at least, is this off-season stuff. And you know, it is really a 20... A, a, uh, I was going to say a 24-hour. That makes no sense. It's really a... Well, yeah, a 24-7, 365 news cycle now with the NFL. Of course, the biggest move... Uh, probably one of the biggest... Certainly for trades, because trades in the NFL are, are nowhere near as prolific as just like agency moves or as trades are in other sports right this uh, one was probably one of the biggest ones in a couple of years at least right you're talking about love belt of the jets that's right love bell getting traded to the did he even get traded i guess he had to right because he he was still under contract with the steelers and of course uh, no i'm talking about antonio brown to the to the raiders right right yep force his way out just just a beautiful story of player empowerment and frankly, these are both great. <laughs> Obviously, we're joking. The, the, the big one, it's uh, Odell Beckham to my Browns. But those Steelers ones are, are just the icing on top of uh, the cupcake here for me. Oh, for you, certainly. Of course, I'm a yeah. Steelers hater. But what do you think about my statement that, that the, uh, so the trade, Odell Beckham, and this was already, you know, three weeks ago probably um, from th- this recording that it went down. But what do you think my statement that the, the Odell Beckham trade from the Giants to the Browns is one of the biggest uh, blockbuster trades in like in a couple of, I can't remember what the last big one like this was. Do you have any idea? Yeah, it's curating is probably the highest of any trade in my maybe lifetime. I've never had a better player traded for worse reasons with absolutely just like wretched team information to back it up. Like, excuses as to why we traded our best player and kept Eli Manning in his 38th year, it seems like. It is an absolute ass trade. The Giants are, and and this redounds to my benefit, the the Giants are one of the worst organizations in football now. That's true. Just just like I'm getting some, uh, I'm getting a pumped from the, what the Steelers are screwing up and having to trade away their best players. I, this is kind of the same for you with the Giants here, at least this one, since you're the, the, the boys fan there. Absolutely. Please, for the love of God, Giants and everyone involved with the Giants and everyone who's a fan of the Giants, please commit to Eli Manning and sell off your best players. Like, I can't wait until we have Saquon Barkley traded to, like, the Bengals or some shit. (laughs) Please keep trading everyone who pisses off Eli Manning, who is just dead in the water and has been for the last five years and everyone knows it. Yeah, and I don't think Barkley's going to get be able to get traded. He's going to get hurt because he's going to literally have to <laughs> take the ball on every snap. <laughs> yeah. But I do think, you know, Eli jokes aside, laundry boy, as you, as you call or I call him that based on you saying that he's like a pile of dirty laundry. A human sack of laundry. A human sack of laundry, right? That's your term. Uh, I do think they're, they're finally... I, I think they're going to draft uh, Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State this draft and, like, finally get, get the replacement right. I mean... That would be ridiculous if they don't. I think they have the number two pick, right? So if they don't do Haskins or another one of the top quarterbacks, like what are they even, like how can they even just, as hard as it is, and we'll get more into the Odell Beckham trade right now, but as hard as it is to justify that and their other moves and what they've done the past few years, like they they absolutely have to do, take a QB first, right? I mean, yeah, they do have to take a QB and I will be elated when they don't. And, like, they should have done this four years ago. They could have had Carson Wentz. They could have had as middle of the pack as sometimes he's been. They could have had Dak Prescott at any time uh, during that draft. Like, the Cowboys took him in the third round. The Giants knew they needed a quarterback. Um, they could have fucking had... Who else? Well, they could have had anyone other than Baker in, this, in last year's draft. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I don't know if any... I mean, Rosen? I'm not, I'm not sure Rosen is worse than Eli Manning right now. Uh, no, probably not. And I don't know. There's been some trade rumors about him because the Cardinals have the... I guess it's Cardinals picking one, Giants two. Who are they draft. supposed to take? Do, do people think they're going to take Kyler Murray? Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I was about to say. I, I think some people are... 
whether it's Murray or one of the other QBs, some people are speculating they're going to trade Rosen after one year so they can take, start over on a quarterback. I think that would be a stupid, but and I don't that think that would it's be happen, stupid. But. but they hired the Texas Tech guy, right? So is there a danger that they take the Texas Tech quarterback? I which who is that? Man, I don't know. Quarterback. I know Cliff Kingsbury is the guy, right? But who's the QB? Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury, Kingsbury is the Kingsbury, coach of the yeah. Arizona Cardinals. There's a uh, the Texas Tech quarterback is my college football friends know. Um, I don't. I don't watch college yeah. football. We're not big college sports guys over here on the Brooklyn Rebound Network, but uh, but there's a yeah. the their their quarterback from Texas Tech is in the draft this year, and there's like suspicion that they're going to take him, right? Yeah, I'll look it up right now. But to kind of get back to the Browns a little bit, the one and done head coach of the Cardinals last year is now there. Our uh, D coordinator coming in, Steve Wilkes. So he's been good in the past, you know, on the coordinator side of things. So this is a pretty rare. I always want football to come back in general just because it's my favorite sport, but NFL football. But um, this is almost a newer feeling for me where I'm, I'm, like, I'm not just like here in April, like, oh, I want football to come back. I'm like, I want the Browns to come back. Like, I want the season to start already, you know? Yeah, well, you have a lot of reasons to, like, be excited. There are a lot of good players at the nucleus of this Browns team, which is the first time in, what, 20 years that we've been able to say that? Yeah, well, it's been 20 years. Actually, it's literally 20 years since the expansion Browns, right? Because it's not, we're not the Ravens. That's the old Browns. So, yeah, it was 1999, and now it's obviously 2019. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you could just basically say in 20 years, or you could just say for the whole, this whole expansion team, which it technically is. The Browns, though, so I I guess we didn't get into too specifically what the trade was. It was Beckham for... Jabril Peppers, who I liked, and he had a good good year last year, but obviously I'll certainly give him up for Odell Beckham Jr. And then two picks, I think uh, our first-round pick this year, which is in the low teens or whatever, in the mid-teens, and I think another a pick ne- either a pick next year or a different round pick, I can't remember. Basically, it's not a good trade for the Giants. It was a pretty low return for what's considered a top three right, wide receiver in the league, a top 20 player in the league, probably. So, top three would be Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, and Odo Buckham Jr.? Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying, I guess. I mean, we no, can No, that makes maybe, sense. I, I'm just going by what the convention conventional theory is anyway, right? You know, I, I like Jabril Peppers. Obviously, I'm, I'm happy to give him up for this, but he's promising, you know. He had a pretty good sophomore season. Sure, sure. I would absolutely give up, like, Randy Gregory for Antonio Brown. Yeah. And then... What was the? Well, I'm getting the official um, Beckham trade here. What was the the Brown trade? Was I mean that was even worse return the Steelers got, but they of course were in a position where he was just forcing his way out, which Beckham wasn't doing in New York, right? So it's pretty baffling. All right, uh, okay, yeah. So Jabril Pepper is the number seventeen pick and the number ninety fifth pick in this year's draft. So the number seventeen one obviously is the first round. Number ninety five. What would that be? Third or fourth round there? So that's it for Beckham. I mean, uh, and I'm looking at the, uh, uh, Bill, all right, I, I pulled up Bill Barnwell's article on this. Barnwell's grades for the deal. The Browns get an A, the Giants get a D plus. So that seems about right to me. Um, yeah, that, no, that makes perfect sense. I mean, like, how are they so committed? They're not going to get the Missouri guy. They're not going to get the Ohio State guy. They have, do they have the second pick? They do have the second pick, and I think they will be able to get Haskins, which is the highest stake guy, if they want him. I mentioned it at the top, at the top there. That's what I think they should do. But again, like we're like we're saying, who knows? But then, how so. many like are they going to let Eli Manning start the season? Are they going to let Eli Manning play the season? I would assume they'll probably start Eli regardless this season, and then it'll be a type of thing where you know Haskins or whoever comes in midway, or if Eli gets hurt. She doesn't really seem to get hurt that much, but uh, and miss time at least. But you know what would happen with like Baker last year? Tyra and Taylor start a couple games and then yeah gets yeah. gets concussion and it's over. Or who knows? I mean, maybe maybe their the rookie QB would just start off the bat. But I I don't necessarily see it happening due to the franchise we're talking about here and what he's like. You know, I I think the fans would probably want it, but I, I don't know. I feel they they seem to like feel like they owe something to to Manning there. And it feels like, I might be wrong, but the Browns could have goddamn had Baker Mayfield last year. Well, I, I think this must be the boost talking, because they certainly did have Baker Mayfield. I'm sorry, the Giants. Uh, the Giants. 
it seems like they had their pick of quarterbacks and did not pick a quarterback. They no, chose they Saquon had Barkley. literally, literally, he's the only one they they couldn't have gotten because the Browns took him number one overall. Got it, number, got it. They had got the number it. two pick last year as well as this year. So it's just so baffling to be that committed to Eli Manning, who has been such obvious ass for eight years, and you've not given him receivers and you've not given him an O line. Like I don't understand at all, and I'm fine with it because of the Giants and fuck the Giants, but. It is just really, really obvious that, like, wealthy people don't have any idea what's going on and that we should not trust wealthy people with anything just because they are wealthy. This is the Giants' plan going forward. Like, we have to get rid of Odell Beckham. He's such a diva. He's also the third best wide receiver in the league on a bad day. Shots fired to the Mara family over here, it sounds like. Uh, Yeah, I mean... Sorry, Rooney and Kate. Kate and Rooney can keep doing, you know, mediocre mid-tier movies that don't get any Oscar consideration and also don't interest me at all, they can keep doing that. Like, uh, enjoy the, like, butterfly tattoo. Yeah, I mean, hey, there is a good pie-eating scene from, I think it was Rooney Mara in the one in the one uh, Casey Affleck movie, right, that, uh, I don't know, have we talked about this on the show before? I feel like we have, but maybe not. I'm sorry, what? I, I think we might not have talked about this. Okay, maybe <laughs> I talked about it with someone else. <laughs> There's a movie, which is a, it's a good movie, although it stars Casey Affleck, who, you know, is uh, problematic. Pro- problems with him now, but um, he dies, I think it's called A Ghost Story, I believe. Oh, I've seen this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I know what you're talking so about So there's this Thank scene you. where he, she's like, after his funeral, like someone gives her a pie. And there's like a literal, it's like shot in real time, like eight minute scene of her just eating a pie, like sadly. Ah, it's good acting. I don't know. I'm going to go watch it after this again. I conflate a ghost story with um, Personal Shopper, which is Olivier Assayas's. Yeah, you told me to watch that one, which I still haven't, but... Yeah, it is just, like, the best movie about grief and siblinghood and ghosts that I've ever seen, and it fucking rules, and uh, it's much better than Ghost Story. Really? Yeah. Olivier Assayas rules, and he gets the absolute best performances out of people who, like, were previously in Twilight. Why? What, are other Twilight people in his movies? It's just Kristen Stewart. Oh, okay. So, he gets the best performance out of Stewart. Um, all right, so that was quite a tangent, but that's what we're doing today. But yeah, so what I was going to uh, cut in with before we started talking, uh, Mara's, is you're saying the owner is, well, that seems to be like you're implying the owners and whatever, but it does seem like this guy, Dave Gettleman, which is the Giants GM now, he's only been the GM for under a year, I think. He's the one who really seems to be making these moves. So what's he, what's he up to is the question. Well, like, if he's tanking, he needs to say that he's tanking. Like, we need to hear that you can trust the process. We have to get rid of Odell Beckham because our QB of the future is two drafts away and we need to be at the bottom of both of those drafts. But what he's saying is Eli Manning is a two-time Super Bowl MVP and we can trust Eli Manning to deliver us to the playoffs again, which, A... New York is just the gentlest of media atmospheres, and, <laughs> and they will let him get away with that. And B, like, Elon Manning is an obvious ass. And the team they built around him, like, they let their defensive wall go. They, have, they let all their corners go. Prince of Mukamara is, you know, I'm doing okay elsewhere. Eli Apple down in New Orleans now. Yeah, they got Yes, Eli Apple was on a team that should have gone to the Super Bowl. Like, they've let all of their good pieces go, now including Odell Beckham. I can't wait until week six next year when they trade Saquon Barkley for, like, 2022 draft considerations. This is absolute bullshit. Uh, And if I weren't from Arkansas and weren't a lifelong fan of the Dallas Cowboys, like, I would be up in arms. This is the most mismanaged franchise in all of football now. Is it really? Yeah, I mean, it's getting there, I guess. It's interesting to think about, especially given that we're talking about the Browns with them, who had previously oh my had that God, honor for yeah. many years. But that's the most baffling thing to me. It's not that, all right, so if you're saying they're, besides what he says or what he thinks, the GM, or the, the, the fact is, yeah, I guess they are tanking at this point from a like NBA perspective, whatever. But even so, he sh- certainly should have been able to get more for Odell Beckham, right? I yeah, mean, I mean, that's the worst part of this, like, you trade Odell Beckham to the Browns. Congratulations, we offloaded you onto the Browns, who now suddenly have just so many great pieces in Nick Chubb and the the the, the defensive end whose name I'm forgetting and, and Miles Garrett. Baker. Yeah, exactly. Uh, obviously, Jarvis Landry friends, good friends with Beckham. That's why it's, it looks it's looking like a good thing. I think Beckham won. Who apparently called everyone there. on the team crying when they traded for Odell Beckham? I know they were friends at LSU. Did? Yeah. 
Um, that was a headline I saw on, like, a Bleach Report post or something. Yeah, I if Odell Beckham were traded to a team that I played on, I might call my quarterback and other people on the team weeping uh, in joy. Unless you're, like, the fourth-string wide receiver or whatever. <laughs> right, right. But it's Jarvis Landry. Like, he was the one. He was the wide, wide receiver one all last year. And he's good. He's very good at football. Yeah, and their best friends were like that they went to LSU together. It's crazy that LSU didn't really do that well when they were both on the same team. But I remember that. It was at Les Miles or whatever. He screwed that one up. Well, as an Arkansas fan, it's fine that Les Miles screwed that one up. All right, of course. But, I mean, clearly when you look at Landry versus Beckham, Landry's a possession-style receiver, and Beckham's more of a home run hitter. Uh, They complement each other so well. Like, uh, you can imagine, like, the Browns doing something with Odell Beckham Jr. other than just having him, like, try to get open on slants on every down, which is what the Giants did with him for four or three years. Yeah, I would would think so. I mean, we got Freddie Kitchens, uh, so I think he's going to come up with some good offensive schemes, certainly. Yeah, like I said, I'm pumped. I wish I'm starting to wish tomorrow is September. Well, well, we'll skip my birthday if we go to September. So, oh, so I, 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 I do not follow you. Yeah, no, go ahead. You're, a, you're. What? It's not like you're not going to age another year. Anyway, you're an adult. You need to, you need to celebrate your birthday. Listen, I'm like a that. cancer. If you forget my birthday, I swear to God. That's awkward to have that. Um, birth, what is it called? Not birth signal. That's certainly not right. Uh, what, sign. What's the, uh, the birth sign? Yeah, that's awkward to have that one that you have because you're literally just saying I am a cancer. Well, I mean, <laughs> little a, little b. Yeah, is Odell Beckham a cancer, by the way? With Maybe certainly a locker thought he room was cancer, to the locker room. and can't be trusted. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how good he is at football. He must be removed from this locker room. Yeah, so, all right, I'm pumped. I'm going to have to talk too much more about no, it. No, that rules. I'm, I'm very happy for you. And John Dorsey is, like, the new king of move over, LeBron, you're out. John Dorsey is the new king of Cleveland, it's looking like. I mean, with these these moves he's been able to pull off since he's got here. Also, we didn't talk about it. He also picked up Kareem Hunt, so... Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> you know, if he was a movie producer, he might cast Casey Affleck. Or Mel Gibson. True. Yeah, well, let's let's get into movies then. I haven't um, seen this movie, but I did see that Mel, Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn are, are in a new movie by uh, uh, about uh, cops or whatever. That, like, I think it's like... Hey, um, now I'm trying to remember. What, I think it's called Dragged Across Concrete. That's correct. It's by uh, the director of two other films, which I saw both of and liked for the most part, but he, he's like a very like uh, right-wing, I think, uh, authoritarian Well, he guy, won't like, uh, say whether he's writing about these people because they're interesting to him or whether he is, you know, a fascist. But, uh, I mean, <laughs> Mel Gibson <laughs> starring as like a cop. He cast Mel Gibson, <laughs> so like we can all kind of guess. Yeah, and I think Vince Vaughn is a right-wing guy as well. Uh, probably. Vince Vaughn reminds me of, like, one of those comedians who just, like, uh, you, you can't be offended by words. What the fuck are you talking about? So that, so that makes perfect sense to me. I wouldn't even call Vince Vaughn a comedian. I mean, he's an actor. He reminds me of those guys, though. Like, the like the Bill Burr and his worst, worst moments guys. Yeah, I don't think Bill Burr would be too pleased about being, at least comedically-wise, like, yeah, Burr and uh, Vince Vaughn, they're both great comedians. Like, You know what I mean, though. I know, I know, I know. But yeah, I, I don't know if I'll watch this one. I don't, it doesn't even seem like it got a major release or anything, but the other two movies that this director, who I'm blanking his name, is dead. Like I said, I watched them both, and the, the first one I liked a lot, which was um about... Well, it's kind of about like a cannibalistic tribe of uh, uh, Native Americans, which I know you uh, you probably have some issues with that as well. But what was the, what the hell is that movie called? Um, is that the one where they're like it, it's Kurt a horror Russell movie? In a, yeah, it's a horror movie. They're like it's tourists and they get like trapped at the top of a mountain. No, 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 oh, okay. no. This, this is like a period piece of the director's you know, name like is Craig Zoller. That's right, uh, like S. Craig Zoller or something. I that's right. Put in. Yeah, so... Bone Tomahawk. Bone, Bone Tomahawk, yeah. I just remembered it as you were saying it. Yeah, I, I think it's a pretty good movie. And it's, like, well-reviewed and everything. But, uh, yeah, I think some people didn't like that Native Americans were the villains. Which I know you Well, we've done this we've before, about. yeah. Yeah, we, we, we talked about Buster Scruggs. But this was, like, a little different than even the Buster Scruggs thing. Because in that film, Colin film, those are just, like... A, a, a tribe of Native Americans. I don't remember which one, but that was set up to be like a real thing, right? And Bone Tomahawk, this is just like a completely made up like horror movie thing. Like, what if there was a this tribe of Native people and that they're cannibals and they'll like you know kill you and do terrible things? I, I can see. I guess a little bit how 
some people might not like that, just like that to be a thing in general. But I, I don't know. I just don't see like when I watched that movie, I didn't even know anything about the guy or whatever. Like I know more about him now. I I didn't really pick up on anything that was like saying um, like anti Native American or something. I mean, yeah, I guess like, the argument isn't that like you objectively vilify Native Americans and you want the audience to come away thinking that Native Americans are like the problem in a current American society. It's the like continued use of them as this brutal other and this force that's coming to get you no matter what. And like when the entire history of their society for, for the last 400 years has been us just like coming and brutally murdering them. Right. I guess I'd take your point on that one. That makes sense the argument against it but yeah that but bone tomahawk yeah we're talking about an old movie now but it, it is definitely like he, the guy is a good director like it's it's a tense movie people have said that drag across concrete is like a well shot and interesting movie and it sucks that it was made by a guy who a you can't tell what his politics are and b it seems like his politics might be just like outright fascism yeah well the, his other movie then was um i could see why I could see a little more of the right wing stuff in his other movie, Brawl and Cell Block yeah. something, which is also like a yeah. straight up B movie. Like it's it's over the top, ridiculous, purposely. Didn't like it as much as Bone Tomahawk, but I did. I don't. I didn't regret watching it or anything. That one stars Vince Vaughn, also. Yeah, that one's very brutally violent as well. Uh, which I'm assuming this new Mel Gibson one is too. Which makes sense to hire him as well. If you're, I mean, a it is character. called Dragged Across Concrete. <laughs> yeah. So and Mel Gibson makes his own uh, ultra hyper violent movies. Well, anyway, yeah, I wasn't even planning to talk about all this, but it's good stuff. So I might watch that. But if we're talking, uh, what? Well, damn, I thought of a good segue for this a minute ago, and I forgot exactly what it was. But we're talking about the other, I guess, or things like that. Why don't we get into Us, the new Jordan Peele film, which is a smash hit at the bo- Bafo B.O. right now. Finally, something that I'm not just, like, furious to talk about. <laughs> so before we get into it, Let's just get the base level. Did you like this movie? Because uh, if people haven't listened to this podcast before, <laughs> weird one to start with if you haven't, but uh, if you haven't, uh, you, you, you tend to have some strong opinions on films and, and things in general, but, and your opinion isn't always, your hot take, as they call it, isn't always, it is a hot take sometimes. You're, it's not always conventional is what I'm trying to say. So that being said, right. did you like it? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Uh, did you love it? Yes or no? I thought it was a little soggy. I didn't like how it overexplained itself and ended 23 times, but um, I enjoyed myself for the most part, and I was interested in most of it. I just, like, I kept wishing that the ending it gave us was just the end, um, and I understand why it didn't do that, but we can move on from me rambling about this. No, I definitely want to talk about that, and definitely want to talk about that. I had a similar note, I would say, but... Uh... Are we, are we going to spoiler it? Spoil it. Yeah. Oh, spoil the movie. Well, let's talk for a couple of minutes without spoiling it. Then we'll get into full spoilers. So just overall stuff. Um, well, I, I had a nice viewing experience of it. So Jordan Peele, of course, did Get Out, right? Which was a, a critically uh, loved. That one I... Did you like Get Out? I, I did like it. I, I don't think I, I loved it like a lot of people seem to. And I would probably say I liked Us a little bit better, maybe even. But I, actually, I don't know. I got to think about that still, but I think part of the reason I didn't, uh, wasn't complete, as blown away by it is I did watch Get Out just on my computer, like on a screen or someone put online, you know, I didn't have the full theatrical experience, which probably would have made it better, which I did have for us. It was, I went to this cool theater in near Hollywood. That's like, say it, say the name. I don't remember the name actually, unfortunately, but it might be called the Los. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Arclight. No, no, no. So this is like, I think it maybe is called the Los. Feliz Theater, or however you say that city. I think they say Feliz. Feliz, yeah. So this is not an Arclight situation. It's not a chain. It's really cool. It's like a completely old school theater. It looks like you could have went to this thing in like 1950, and it would look pretty similar on the inside. It only has one screen in the whole thing, and they're playing us, so I went and saw it the other day. And it has these like Egyptian figures on the sides. Like It's pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, it's a, a really cool place. I recommend it. I believe it's called Los Feliz Theater, yeah. But look up Los Feliz, like, old school theater. I'm sure it'll come up on Google or whatever. But if you can watch a movie there, I recommend that. So that was a cool experience in general. That, if anything, probably heightened my experience. But just seeing a movie like this on the big screen, I think was better. I, I kind of regret not doing that for Get Out, but... So 
I have a similar experience with Get Out where like I saw Get Out on a date with someone you know actually. It kind of just based on the reviews got a little bit Star Wars for me. You remember that episode of that old sitcom How I Met Your Mother where he's showing um like his date Star Wars for the first time and he's talked it up so much that she's just like, eh, it's not that it's not that good. Yeah. I don't think you really needed to say that old that old sitcom. It's not that old. Like you're talking about you know that old sitcom, leave it to How Beaver. I Met Your Mother ended like eight years ago at this point. All right. uh, five years ago? Six years ago. Anyway. Yeah, it's not that old. Um, All right, fine. I think people know what it is. Nah, <laughs> it was our generation's friends, whatever. We're over it. You go hang out at that bar in New York, right? That's where you were drinking before this? Bar. Is that what I've I've been to that bar, yeah. <laughs> That's where you just came from. I've been to that bar on a studio set in L.A. <laughs> yeah, so Get Out got a little bit ruined for me just by being hyped so much. And it was like, it was a very decent horror movie. Um, and it didn't have the kind of horror scares that I was interested in in seeing a horror movie. And the social commentary, while effective, was also just like, this has all been spoiled for me. So now this is a revelation while I'm seeing it. And I had to, I had a really big problem with that. I did not have that problem with us. Yeah, I agree with you on the the whole of what you're saying, like the Star Wars effect or whatever you call it. That's probably was for me a little bit too, because it was a couple weeks. Uh, I had it been out a couple weeks when I just watched it on my computer. So I'm thinking I'm with you there. With the horror aspect, Get Out's a little more, it is like mainly more social commentary, like you're saying. There's comedy in there too a lot, which there, there is in us as well. And I, I think good horror movies have that. Jaws is one of the most classic horror movies. That movie's really actually hilarious in a lot of parts if you rewatch it. So comedy's good, I think. And of course, Peel is, a, a, you know, ba- you know, he started his career as on like Mad TV or whatever. But Get Out's more, I would call it like an existential horror, I guess. You know, like it, it us is way more of like a literal, yeah. you know. It's been called, like, Get Out was called, like, social horror or whatever. The thing that was terrifying was the thing that, like, we all recognize in American society. Which is not untrue of us, but us has the more, like, funny games, like, home invasion, murder scare. I was gonna say, there was at least the one particular scene. I was thinking, like, this is, this has to be, like, inspired by funny games. Exactly. You know, where they're just, like, they've sat them down and are explaining why they're after them. Yeah, with the knife and everything, too. It did seem very similar. So I have a feeling Jordan Peele is influenced by that. And some other movies, too. Even, like, Jaws, like I just mentioned, like... There was kind of, I mean, because they're at the beach, too. A little bit of that, I was, the, sh- yeah, the Shining yeah. a little bit, I would say. Um, well, with the twins, specifically. Yeah. <laughs> Who were creepy even before, or the weird, at least, yeah. even before. So, yeah, before we get into spoilers, I guess, broader things overall. Um, yeah, it was definitely more of a conventional horror movie, I thought. Uh, like I said, there was some really funny parts in it. Liked it overall, yeah, had had, had some issues with that the end a little bit i do think the more you think about like think about it i guess like the plot at least it doesn't really make sense completely i don't think i guess we'll just say spoilers from this point on well before before we start to spoil anything i do want to say out loud that like the movie turns on performances just the way they get out turned on performances um by chris and um I've forgotten the actor's name. In Get Out or in Us? Yeah, in Get Out. And uh, the the performance of Allison Williams and the the lead character, the guy from yes, um, yes. my favorite episode of Black Mirror, those two performances are really what carry Get Out. In the same way Us carry, Us is carried by performances by Winston Duke and Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah, they're both really good. Yeah. Absolute visions. Like, perfect on screen. Let me just pull up the name. Oh, it's... Uh... I just had it. What the hell? Uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, Kaluuya. You just gotta think of Kaluuya. Uh, Right, right. My favorite thing to pour in my coffee. (laughs) Yeah, that's what you're Um, drunk off, right? Not PBI. The guy from 100 Million Merits, the best episode of uh, Black Mirror. Oh, yeah. Don't agree. Do not agree with you on that one at all. But all right, we won't have time for that right now. Yeah, well, (laughs) fuck you for happening. (laughs) Oh, you know what? Actually, that one is good. It's not my favorite. It's really good. I think I was thinking of a different one that that was one of the worst uh, Black Bear episodes. But it's not that one, actually, now that I think about it. No, it's the American Idol one. That's what I was thinking of. Hey, I, I'm still a, uh, damn it, man, I can't, I, am I drunk over here? I'm not. San Junipero. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Junipero uh, head over here. It's the lezzy one. It's, it's the, it's the sweetest, but also the most terrifying because like at the end, the camera pans back over like servers and servers of people whose entire afterlife is stored on digital hardware and people don't get it because 
People don't understand that that is terrifying because we've just gotten the very sweet ending between the two uh, characters who finally found out that they were gay in the afterlife and that's perfect and wonderful. And also just like the fact that your afterlife could be ended by a power surge is just the worst, most terrifying, like insidious thing that they could have put in that show. Yeah. I don't know if they found out they were gay or whatever. I mean, they could just be, you know. they, they One of them was gay the whole time. Maybe, but she was also like a... Most of her life, she was in, like, a coma or something, right? Or, you know. Yeah, I mean, she had a husband. But, yeah, like, she she knew what she was in the afterlife thing for. But, anyway, I'm just saying, it's a, it's a spectrum, remember, Eric? You it's know, you it's all a spectrum, yes. Don't get yourself canceled out here. Now, oh, I was just going to say, uh, I'm, I'm just a real sucker for a, uh, a ending, a, a credit song that really punctuates, like, literally what's going on. So, heaven is a place on earth that... that as soon as that started playing, I, I was really, yeah, I was, on, I was on cloud nine. Yeah, it was a nice moment, and then it was terrifying because of the like the the shot that I'm talking about. But can, uh, continue. No, I know what you mean. The little robot arm coming in. What was the ending song for us, by the way? Because there was a lot of good musical cues in it, and they played like whole songs. Like I feel like there was like two or three full songs played, basically. But I don't know what the ending song to us was, but I do want to talk about the score to that movie, which is fucking perfect. The song that is just like atonal solfege at the beginning and then the like orchestral breakdown of five on it that happens in the yeah, fight scene great. it was literally just like the perfect score for the perfect movie the perfect movie uh it, it ruled that's what i'm saying it, it was right for its moment and the score was perfect yeah perfect moment certainly yeah all right spoilers from this point you know fuck it so yeah the fog the police it was a, a gag <laughs> yes. from from uh, it was uh, an Alexa gag basically, or they, they had a made up name for Ophelia. it. I don't remember what it was, but Ophelia. Yeah, that, that's that is pretty good. You know, not even the most original joke probably, uh, but uh, it's executed well. That whole scene I loved. That was probably one of my favorite scenes in the in the film. Well, naming it Ophelia is also kind of the perfect joke because of the Othello gag, which is like uh, Ophelia did nothing wrong. It was the society that was like created around her. Oh, the, Hamlet, the isn't it? Uh, no, it's uh, Othello. Ophelia is in. Is an Othello? No, you're right. Desdemona's Hamlet. Ophelia's or Desdemona is Ophi- Othello. Ophelia is Hamlet. You're right. You're right. You're right. So the thing that I Does said it makes still no make sense. the point. Ahead, are you trying ahead. to make a point about the wrong play, or is it? Yeah, wrong play. Still... Wrong play. I just love okay. Othello. Well, yeah, I think uh, you know it still doesn't go well for her. She kills herself, I believe in. Well, but he drives her insane. He drives her insane because he's insane. Which I'm not going to stretch this point, but whatever. Might, yeah, that probably doesn't fit into the, the theme of this movie per se. But there is a lot of themes. So we mentioned the main two, uh, Nyong'o and Duke. But uh, the two, the other couple, which is Elizabeth Moss and uh, Tim Heidecker, they, they aren't actually even in the movie. I thought they were going to be in it more based on the pre- the trailer I saw from it. But they, they meet their demise pretty quickly. But they, they did a very good job as well there. Very funny and then kind of scary as well, or creepy at least. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, with their, you know, the the Heidegger one's more funny. I like his the, little the puppet walk. More creepy. Uh, in the in the in the bit that you're talking about, I like his little puppet walk down the like steps toward the dock. Yep, that's good. I don't know. I assume they that Peel is trying to make some type of commentary with the Heidegger's family is like rich. It seems like, and then they they don't have as much money that the main character is. But. Well, the whole thing, which I appreciate, as you know, is an anti-capitalist commentary about how like everything that you have, you have the expense of someone else. Okay, yeah, that's an interesting point. I didn't specifically think of that, I guess, but you're saying with the the people under that are living underground, right? With the tethered and the the whole like yeah. we're Americans. Well, that I was going to bring that up too. That was kind of a curious statement because they didn't really go back to it ever or anything like that but what what was that about exactly when the, the doppelgangers say well actually it, it turns out that she's the original uh Nyong'o, but which i'm assuming that's why she's the only one that can talk right or yes because no okay yeah she says we're americans what does that mean exactly like why was that in there i think it's exactly the thing the thing that i just said i i it means that like everything that you have in this society because capitalism exists everything that you have is at the expense of somebody else um and in this case it is a literal copy of yourself that we've raised underground for for like whatever reason and completely forgotten about but it's also like there's a bit of uh race commentary in there too where like there are entire societies of americans that we do not look at as a like media culture that are suffering for our benefit 
Yeah, race and class, definitely, yeah, theme. Like, it wasn't, at least compared to Get Out, the, the race issue, I didn't think so was very specific. brought home and nearly as much in this one. But, yeah, I think more class stuff, yeah. So, yeah, evidence between, like, the two families, the real families, and then also the, yeah, the, the what are they called? The tethered, is that what they're called? Yeah, versus the normal, quote-unquote, people. And that's the one thing, though, so it's good, it's... Peel does a very good job directing the film. It works all the way through, but like I was saying, the more you think about it, it doesn't. It's probably not too good to think about the plot too much because it doesn't. Ultimately, doesn't really make sense. It overexplains itself, and that's one thing that it has to deal with. That's a separate thing, but also even when it explains, it doesn't really. Because I guess the main thing I get, yeah, you could suspend your disbelief. There's this whole underground society, right? But how does the how do the families all connect with each other like the same way they do above ground? Yeah, I don't get that at all. And it doesn't really matter. Like, it, I, I hadn't even thought about that until now. Like, I understand the Hands Across America thing. How would they have enough people based on... Yeah, that was clever. Well, yeah, well, that was a great reveal. And it, you know, it was obviously, like, telegraphed. But that was a great thing for it to do. But I don't understand how they would have had the exact right people to kill the exact right versions of themselves and then, like, spread out across America. That's... The one thing it doesn't over-explain. Yeah, because it doesn't, because like I said, it doesn't, it'd be too hard to, I think, make sense of it. But also, yeah, I was thinking about the, the family because, so we, what we find out is, which I was kind of suspecting the whole time, is that the Neon, I'm just going to call her the actress's name, because I don't remember. Uh, she's called Red, Red Adelaide. Red Adelaide? Uh, Lupita Nyong'o's character's name is Adelaide, and, and she's called, uh, all the doubles are called, like, something red or red something. Oh, Okay. Well, that's confusing, too, so I'm just going to call it Tether Nyong'o and, and Earth Nyong'o. No, I'm just going to call it Nyong'o. So Nyong'o, there's two of her. They switch as children, basically, right? Or, the, you know, the, the tethered one basically not tricks her, but, like, knocks her unconscious, or does she faint? I don't remember exactly. She pulls her into, yeah, pulls her underground and switches place with her, right? That's why she can't talk then, and she's like the therapist and whatever. So once I saw that too, and I was seeing how the movie unfolded, I did. It wasn't like that uh, much of a surprise. Like I thought it was fairly obvious. Um, so like what you're saying when they overexplain, it was definitely not necessary. Yeah, well, it helps that like I saw a tweet saying there was a twist. So the whole time I was watching it, I was prepared for a twist. And then like when there were no twists up till that point, I was like, oh okay, well she's clearly the Lupita Nyong'o from Below Ground. And well, and as soon as I realized that the other, yeah, the other tether people, except for her, weren't didn't weren't seemingly able to talk either. Then it's like, oh wait, she wasn't talking after this. But anyway, um, all this to say that so they switch at when they're I don't know ten or something, how old she is. The tethered one is Adelaide, I guess that's the character. She integrates into society, marries Winston Duke's character, right? So how does the the real one under underground now find the doppelganger for the? The husband that this one... Well, you know and they didn't saying, explain that at all. It? They just had uh, the real Lupita, who was Red Lupita, um, the messiah of that culture, explain, there's like, I didn't get a choice. Like, you married Winston Duke, so I married this beast. And there's no, like, explanation of why wouldn't she just... Once she figures out what's going on underground, why doesn't she try to escape, rather than making a whole, like... Uh... Well, she was a very timid child. Like, I, I think we can reasonably expect that, like, of course she didn't try to escape. I suppose. I mean, there, there was one scene with her as a child. It's not like we could get too much of a... That's fair. ...feeling, but, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the yeah, the image with the... All the... Especially because they... You know, that's, like, the first scene of the movie, I think, on TV is playing the Hands Across America, which is a real thing that... That, that literally happened, yeah. Before our time a little bit, but yeah, that was clever, yeah. that I, I did kind of forget about that for a little bit. And then once, yeah, once you see them all joining hands, you're like, oh, yeah, that's where that came from. But yeah, with the ending, so I, let's see if you agree with me on this one. The movie should have just ended when the, when the boy, the son, looks at her, right, in the car. And you could tell by that he knows Without the flashback? what happened. That's when... The, yeah, and then that I think it should have just cut off there and not shown any of this flashback or anything. Here's another day. hot take. That would have been a good ending. Uh, and I said earlier that I was dissatisfied that the movie ended 23 fucking times. As much as 
So this movie feels like when you're writing something personally and like you, you're reading paragraph after, after paragraph and it's like, I can't cut that, I can't cut that, I can't cut that. And then you end up with something that's far too long for the assignment that you, that you were given. That's what this movie feels like. And I feel like this movie would have benefited from ending, even though we would have lost like one of the best set pieces of the movie, the, the little fight underground with uh, the orchestral arrangement of five on it. It should have ended before that last fracas sort of started when like the boy backed up and 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 the monster boy backed into the fire like it should have ended there that should have been the end of it they should have take like taken to the coast as lupita said and they should have just been gone and it 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 also could have ended when they got away from their own doppelgangers and it also could have ended when they got away from uh elizabeth moss's doppelgangers well, that, the further you back it up, the movie's got to be a movie length. Like, it can't be, like, a, a I'm telling you minutes. it was feature length at the point where they murdered Elizabeth Moss's doppelgangers and were like, we got to go. All right. I mean, I don't... You're acting like it's, like, uh, Return of the King or something with 20 endings. I didn't see all those as endings necessarily, but, you know, it still needs a third act. I, I don't know. I could see, like, maybe what you're saying with the with the two boy, the boy and his doppelganger, the son... Where it backs into the fire, they could have ended it there with like one more scene after that, maybe instead of him getting sure. kidnapped. Then the son gives the mom a look, realizing that it's really a doppelganger. Then they end it. Like I, I liked that. I thought that scene was good and good to be in there. But then, yeah, and then the movie was twenty eight minutes longer. That was my major problem. Is that it just felt soggy uh, and nothing, nothing felt wrong, but it 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 was just too long. Soggy? Do you mean saggy or is soggy? A- mean the same thing i mean like overburdened and unsure where itself it wanted to end gotcha so yeah here's the thing i mean in 2019 movies are just gonna be long like there's no there's like no such thing as a 90 minute movie anymore so i think it's a lost uh, era there but you know maybe it'll come back around have shorter movies because i do it is like i I watch a lot of movies you know I, i think i mentioned one of our more recent podcasts are, are you know, are, are a 2018 wrap-up. Like, I've been keeping track of how many movies I watched, and it was a ridiculously high number in the year. But, like, yeah, if I'm look, if I'm watching older movies, I'm talking about real old movies, not How I Met Your Mother, like, 2008-era movies. You know, from the 60s, 70s, 80s especially, a lot of them have this, like, especially, yeah, 80s, have, like, these 90-ish minute run times, and you're like, then I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll sit down and watch that right now. Why not? I know it's going to be over quick enough. Even if it's not great, it makes it easier to sit down and, you know. Yeah. I want to push back on that, too, because I saw two truly, truly great movies in 2018. One was Phantom Thread, which was, I think, over two hours. And I didn't feel I didn't feel at any point like I wanted it to end. It came out in 2017. I saw it in January. And then the other was First Reformed, which is, I think, less than 100 minutes and just perfectly timed and I never checked my phone the whole time and it was truly riveting. I just feel like there is a way to write a script and to shoot a movie where it doesn't feel like it should have ended 40 minutes ago, even if it's two hours. I don't know, and I'm nitpicking. This is a great fucking movie. Yeah, there's a famous quote. I think it's by like either Siskel or Ebert where they're saying, a uh, great movie is never too long and a bad movie is never short enough, right? So like... It depends, like, yeah, how you're... Right, right. I think you're thinking the Beethoven quote, which is they didn't applaud because they're all swine and asses. Uh, but continue your thing, sorry. I don't think that's what I was thinking of, but... Um, but yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, if, if a movie is really sucking you in, yeah, it's not... The, the runtime doesn't doesn't matter as much. And But yeah, when, when you're watching a movie and it does seem like there's the end and then it doesn't happen, yeah, that, that's frustrating as well, of course. Not meaning it's a bad movie, but... Yeah, I don't know. Anything else you want to... Uh, touch on with that with us i really just want to talk about winston duke's performance if anyone doesn't remember he is mbaku from black panther he's the guy that just barks down bilbo baggins when he tries to talk um is he the guy is he the one that like fights with black panther initially to try to be the king yeah yeah the the gorilla king okay he is truly wonderful in this as a like idiot dad very different role from black panther so good He's very good as the, uh, obviously I'm talking about his uh, regular, the regular one, not the doppelganger. He's very good as like the kind of, kind of stereotypical dad, like, you know, they're kind of nerdy, I guess. Yes, or, exactly. You know, just like Bay Area dad or whatever. He's um, so charming and stupid. 
Yeah, the, the very good scene where he's like on the bed, like he obviously is in the mood to get fresky or whatever. He's like doing the doing a move, which um, maybe both of us and many guys have probably done before on the bed, not even realizing that his wife is having like a, a breakdown over that. I also like when um, Red Lupita or uh, Red Adelaide is explaining the whole thing to them, and he's like, "Wait, wait, 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 honestly," and they just think something like entirely different is happening. Just, like, doesn't understand that they want to murder them. Just, like, you can have whatever you want. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I'll drive drive me to the ATM, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Point. Yeah, that was in, in kind of the funny games uh, that, uh, yeah, and that's, by the way, that's what funny games was missing. A, a comical dad character, you know. Uh, yeah, funny games, not a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, what's weird about that. I've only actually seen the, now I'm trying to remember which one I've seen. I think I've only seen the American one, but... That one is a remake by the same director, Michael Haneke is his name. He literally made his his same movie twice, like once in French and then like a couple years later. I didn't made, know that. Maybe a decade later. Made it in English. It's, I haven't seen both, but I, as far as I understand, it's like basically the exact same movie. Like, Isn't that weird? Like, why would you... I yeah. mean, there's a whole weird thing where Gus Van Sant remade Psycho in the 90s and like basically made it shot for shot. Also starring Vince Vaughn, by the way, he's coming up a lot today. Christ! But uh, I didn't know that either. At least that was a that was a weird idea and stupid and pointless. But at least it was a different director doing it. Like this, uh, this Hannigan made is it's the same guy making the same movie. I mean, I don't he know. was really proud of it. I don't know. I only really I remember Funny Games for having um, the older brother from the Disney Channel Leave It to Beaver movie as like a villain who breaks a dad's like kneecap with a golf club or some shit. And then just also being really disturbing and involving some boats. Yeah. So, and that's the American one you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, of course. I've not seen the French one. I don't I don't remember the Disney Channel thing, but I know one of the guys in it, you know, one of the villains is this actor. I think his name's Michael Pitt. I'm not sure if that's the one or the other one you're talking about, but he is a, he's a good actor, too. Um, he's in, like, Boardwalk Empire. Did you ever watch that? No, not at all. He also is a... Uh, a guest star in a couple episodes of the Mads Mikkelsen uh, Hannibal show, which he's getting that too. Um, I've seen some of that. I don't know. Yeah, uh, he's a Mason Berger in that. But yeah, anyway, us, I think we wrapped that one up. Are you going to watch it again? I'd I, I probably watch this one again at some point. It might might be good on a second watch. Um, I'll see it again when it's like on Amazon or whatever. Or Hulu. Yeah, yeah not, not going into the theaters again, but. It's good. It's very good. Yeah, Get Out as well as a movie, even more so maybe that had, like, if you watch it a second time, I think you will you can kind of see, like, everything fitting into place or, like, where one thing leads to another and all that stuff. Like, it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jordan Peele's a good, good filmmaker, and he also has a new Twilight Zone show. I think that's debuted yesterday or something. Yeah, I'm not signing up for CBS Plus for that. <laughs> Oh, well, no, I, I wouldn't either, but I'm sure it'll be, <laughs> I'll watch it free online somewhere. Watch uh, The Twilight Zone and The Good Fight on CBS Plus and let us know how it is. <laughs> Probably pass on The Good Fight, but, uh, but yeah, so, to- and that, that makes kind of sense too to me because like both Get Out and Us are kind of Twilight Zone-ish as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So it seems to be what has milieu. All right, but anyway, speaking of TV, I will, we'll wrap it up soon, but I figured we can, uh, talk a little Russian down maybe because even though most people you know finished binging it or finished watching it probably a month ago at this point or weeks ago yes I just oh, over a month ago yeah I just uh, I was uh, on my YouTube channel which I'll plug again here Drew Wilson and you could is the name of the channel but Drew's views if you search that on YouTube it should come up certainly Drew's views Russian dolls will come up with my uh, reaction videos so I was doing it on a weekly basis rather than binging uh, because of that and I just uh, recorded my reaction right before this podcast to the, the finale, which actually, I think it was called Ariadne. And now that I think about it, I don't know why it was called that, but I don't know. Is that, does that mean something that I'm not aware of? Not at all. Okay. Well, that's not to me. Yeah, maybe I'll look that up right now while I'm struggling to Google things badly today. But uh, yeah, so I just, very fresh in my mind, I just finished the finale. It was, all, yeah, it was an eight episode show. I don't think it, on Netflix it says season one, like episode eight, but this is not like a. It's what they call a limited series, right? There's not going to be a season two of this, is there? Um, I don't think they know. Probably the people who like at Netflix who greenlight this decision 
and the people who make this show know, but I haven't heard whether there will be a second season. It kind of leaves it open for one. Well, I guess. What What is it going to be like? They it does feel is like it with the com- same characters? I don't know. It does feel like a complete story, though. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of thinking maybe it could be like an anthology. They could turn it into another one of these anthology shows and like yeah. a similar thing with different actors, but, you know, like a True Detective or one of these, but I don't know. And they could maybe make it like True Detective Season 3 where like they have references to the Season 1 characters or whatever, you know. Yeah. I don't know if that would even be good. But if it's not if it's not that and they did a Season 2 with the same characters, like I could see like a regular, more conventional sitcom with these characters. It might be funny. Like I did... I really like Natasha Leone's character. Oh, she's great, um, yes. And her two friends especially as well, I liked a lot. So, like, I could see, like, a little, you know, a fun show with them in, in New York. But I don't, it would be stupid if it was, like, her and Alan wake up in season two, like, it's happening again or whatever. Like, that would be tough. Right. I think it'd be more like them Sherpa-ing someone else through this emotional process. New people. And having yeah, I guess. To, like, to figure out the, the core of their emotional damage to get them through their, their whatever. Is yeah. what I would imagine a second season would be. I don't fucking know. Oh, Ariadne, I looked up. In Greek mythology, was a Cretan princess. She is mostly associated with mazes and labyrinths. That's right. Because of her involvement in the myths of the Minotaur and Theseus. All right, so I guess the maze labyrinth part is what they were going through, kind of. I didn't know that at all, but that sounds exactly right. So I remember on our last, maybe it was our last podcast or one of our last ones when we talked. I think at that point I'd only seen the first one or two episodes. I think I'd seen the first two at that point. You'd seen the whole thing. And I asked you, like, without giving spoilers, does everything make sense? Does it wrap up well? Is it a mystery I can figure out as I go along in my reactions? I believe what you said was, like, it's not really a mystery that you can figure out. You only figure out things as the characters do. And I guess for the most part, you were right about that. Yeah, um, I remember that. Can you be any more specific with anything now that we've both seen it? Like, um, what's your... Well, like, you were just never going to know that this whole thing was about the damage that Chloe Sevigny, who, by the way, Chloe Sevigny in a, uh, like, redhead wig, like, who, who, who knew? I picked her out immediately. I was like, as soon as I, if you watch back my episode seven reaction, which is the most recent one, and I think I, I called her like the Chloe Seven, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, good, good job. I just wanted to yeah, give myself dab for that. Yeah, no com- complete like Charlie's their own monster makeup. But no, you wouldn't know that this whole thing was about the damage that Chloe Seven's character did to Natasha Leone's character when she was a child. Until the moment where they tell you that. And, I mean, obviously you could have guessed, well, but... yeah. I mean, I knew it was... I mean, the, the mom was brought up a lot. So I was starting to think by... Toward the end of the series, you know, that it's... It's gotta be some unresolved thing with that. Yeah. But I didn't know why why we're... And I still... Even watching the whole thing, I'm still not entirely sure why her and Alan... Uh, which, the last time we talked, I didn't even know about that character. Obviously. Right, but right. Alan that happens the end of episode this. three. Yeah, I think, or, yeah, I think so. And then the episode four was all about him, mostly. And then, yeah, so why were they actually connected in the first place? Is it just because they um, both died at the same time and, like, the universe thinks they can help each other out or whatever? Or is there something more that I missed? I I, I still didn't, even watching the whole thing, I didn't completely get why they were connected. That was my reading. Um, Just, like, a a really, like, capital R romantic and not so much a, a connection between them romantically or physically. Um, like a, a like an old school Victorian romantic idea that like somehow by coming together they can be more than they were alone um, is sort of where I thought that that came from. Okay, but it's also like is why those two specifically like I'm sure any given day in, in Manhattan like a bunch of people die all the time, right? So why are they? And those people probably have some unresolved things too. Yeah, right? I think these people are just like brokenness soulmates is what the show's positing and I could be talking out my ass. Okay. No, I mean that's kind of interesting I guess when you when you bring it up like that. But yeah, so uh, so when I was, you know, um finishing up the series there, that's I was still kind of wondering that. And then I had I had one other question too, I think what was it? About just the whole thing. Oh, so why did so in the final episode, right, the finale, they wake up and it looks like everything's back to normal. All the things that had disappeared are back, right? Like the cat, the wedding ring, all mm-hmm, this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Uh, very, by the way, a very funny scene in the finale uh, where he, where the drunk Alan is like giving a uh, horse, the homeless cat, the wedding ring. And he's like, shouldn't you be getting down on your knee? And he actually does it. That, that, that was probably my biggest laugh from the, that episode. Yeah. But anyway, then they realize that, oh... I'm stuck in your original one. You're stuck in mine, right? Where in the one ounce drunk suicidal, 
And the other one, Nat- uh, Nat- not Natasha, but um, Nadia is going to bang Alan, or not Alan, uh, Mike, I think is the name. So, and they have to stop each other. And they can't so why talk did each other that happen? out of it because they don't know each other in that timeline. Right, right, right. Which is interesting. Like, I did, I did like that conceit in general. Um, but why did that happen at this time when the last episode everyone was disappearing? She kept seeing herself as a child and dying. Is it like some something where this was like their last chance now after everyone disappeared? If, would they really have died this time for real if they couldn't have helped each other at the end here or... I, I guess I just didn't understand that completely either, why why this happened at this time in the, in the final episode. My reading on the bit where they're, like, talking to each other and they don't know each other is that, like, the last piece for, for helping your, your new friend fix themselves is, like, doctor, heal thyself. Like, you've got to put your mask on before you can help anyone else with their oxygen mask. Okay, I mean, I, yeah, that makes sense but in general, but I just don't... Why was that the last piece? Just because it's... I'm just trying to figure out what the cause is. It's just like, what qualifies are. you to help your friend if, if if you can't help yourself, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Just the way that penultimate episode ended was kind of crazy, and I was expecting more, like, yeah, I was just not sure why it led to this. Like, because that episode was, like, her seeing, going to meet the daughter of her ex-boyfriend in that restaurant, right? But then it, like, starts turning into her as a child, and she's, like, choking on, like, a piece of glass, and that was probably the most grisly death in the show. And then they're showing the mom smashing the mirror. So I thought, like, all right, that's something to do with the, you know, that was a, an obvious point about the mom and everything. But I don't, I just didn't get why that, the end of that episode led into the final episode where now they're reset to be in each other's plot, you know, nights or whatever. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking this one, but. Maybe um, a little, um, or maybe I just didn't notice because I'm stupid. Uh, a or B. <laughs> Not stupid, Eric. You probably just were hitting that Kahlua too hard again. Oh, you know me. <laughs> uh, how's the PBR holding up, by the way? We've been going a little long here. Oh, the PBR is long gone, but my buzz remains. Excellent. Well, yeah. Like I said, we'll be wrapping it up shortly. But yeah, but yeah. overall with Russian Dial, I-, I liked it overall. I'm glad I watched it. It was funny. Um, you know, good acting in that one as well. And some, I, I do like a comical death, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably my, fa- I think my favorite one is still which I had seen last time we talked, I think it was in episode two, where she she falls down the thing twice, but the second time is when it really got me, when she falls down the open grate, you know, in the city. Uh, yeah. Talking on the phone. I will always That's remember it. the image of her just, like, trying to go down the stairs for the, like, sixth or seventh time, and she being like, absolutely not, nope, 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 and going down the fire escape. That was good, too. And then the fire escape keeps getting tied back in. Yeah. And her friends are, you know, the, the friends are two funny characters, but um, the, they... I don't know, they, like, they're a little, uh, even in the final episode, well, first her friend throws wine on her or whatever, like, but then she's like, all right, I'll help you down the stairs, and would you really do that, not knowing everything, like, you would, you'd be thinking it's a little more weird or whatever, probably, but. I, I would know, be but. thinking that what, like, whatever they take, and, like, this is what they need at that moment, how high that they sense. are. Yeah, I guess that makes sense, based on the, what we know about the characters, and funny scene, too, with uh, the other friend getting, uh. Liz, I think is that one's name, getting, like, when Alan tells her about, I think, obviously, lies, saying, Nadia said this about you, you should do this, or whatever. And she, like, gets really touched and emotional about it. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty funny. So, did the show make me miss New York? A little bit here and there, but more so it just made me uh, get annoyed about the things, which I mentioned last podcast, too, I think, like, the huge apartment and all that stuff. uh, (laughs) Right. And the bodega where uh, a guy with an American accent is uh, working there, which I guess, like, it's his family's or whatever. That and, isn't I've a thing. Seen that. I, I want everyone in all of America to be aware that that isn't a thing. But uh, you can get hit by a cab and uh, and get get killed, so look out for that one. I, I was telling people at the end of my re- reactions and several of them, I was doing a little sign-off saying, you know, watch out for the grates, watch out for cars, you know. Watch out for the side of buildings. And I'll tell our listeners here that as well. You know, say, stay safe out there, people. New York or anywhere else, you know. You're not, most likely, you're not going to pop back to life in a, in a avant-garde bathroom. So you only get one of these things. Be safe. You will, you will never walk through the birthing canal of your friend's arty apartment in the Lower East Side and or of life. Just Damn straight. Watch the stairs. Yeah, watch out for your doppelgangers, I suppose. Uh, let me try to tie everything together. Watch out for your GM making bad moves. <laughs> um, 
watch out for uh, uh, Mel Gibson on the street, especially if there's concrete around. You don't. Want to get yeah, if you see thing. Mel Gibson, just run. Probably good advice for most people. All right, and I think unless you got anything else you want to touch on, I think that might do it for this episode of Mr. Slash Movies Are Relevant, whatever I'm calling it, the Drew and Eric Show. I don't know. The Drew and Eric Show. Yeah. Like, hey, we, we talked about Tim Heidecker from uh, from uh, Us, right? So he had that show, uh, t- what is it called? Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job or something. <laughs> the the like, Drew and Eric Show, awesome show, good job. <laughs> Yeah, we'll just make it a parody of that. Perfect. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can get that uh, Game of Thrones one out soon. You know, on that, I'm, of course, the king of... Jeez, uh, uh, the king of the, king the, of the pod, pod. And you're the you're the hand of the king of the pod. That's right. I was kind of... You know, I actually... Yeah, to throw one last plug out for the last um, NBA episode with Inam, there was a little Game of Thrones tie-in on that as well. Well, first of all, I, I brought to Inam my theory that... I don't know. I'm hoping I'm wrong, but maybe you, the hand of the king of the pot, had something to do with why I had to uh, flee New York from my enemies and why Casterly Pod was taken over. And now I'm out here hiding in the Echo Park. But also, other than my you know crazy theories like that, I actually left the podcast for a little while, and uh, book Sir Jorah Mormont came on to talk some hoops. So that was interesting. A little. GOT NBA crossover if people want to go listen to that one on this feed. Oh, that's great. I hope he was 56 years old and hideous, unlike the show Jorah Mormont. You know, when I listened back, I heard that he was, yeah. He even told Inam specifically, I'm not the villain from Lara Croft Tomb Raider. (laughs) I don't look like him. I have a hairy back. I'm not attractive. Yeah, he said those exact words, I believe. So, yeah. So check that out. Yeah, stay tuned for any more pods here. Subscribe to Brooklyn Rebound Network. Stay safe, like I mentioned, and until next time, we're out of here. Peace. Later. Mm-hmm.